Hey there, welcome to Blockhead, the Peanuts tribute podcast from a cartoonist's point of view. My name is Jeff Grogan, and I will be your host for the next few minutes to talk about Peanuts, Charles Schultz, and all things Charlie Brown, Linus, Lucy, and Snoopy too. So sit back and enjoy. Welcome to another episode of Blockhead. We have the second part of our two-part interview with Terry Liebenson, Rubin Award-winning cartoonist behind the syndicated comic Pajama Diaries, as well as author of a whole series of books for tweens or young adults, uh, Invisible Emmy, Positively Izzy, and the newly released Just Jamie, which is available wherever good books are sold. So check out your local independent bookstore for that. It should be on the shelves as I speak. So let's get right to it. We are going to pick up right where we left off last time, and we have a whole host of things to talk about. So uh, let's not waste any time. Let's get right to the interview, okay? Myself and Terry in discussion. I like a good challenge, and um, sometimes I like to throw in as many words as I can. <laughs> well, <laughs> I used to yeah. drive the salespeople crazy because, oh my gosh, I I would get so wordy, and I've I've really come a long way since. But, <laughs> but uh, oh my gosh, um, but sometimes I don't. Know, I think it's because um, maybe it's because I did do a lot of card writing, and <laughs> I just wanted to kind of rebel against that. Sure, oh I don't know. Yeah. But I sometimes I like to play with that. I like to play with words. I like to, you know, uh, I like to throw in. I, I have to. I have to really, you know, draw the line. But once in a while, I like to kind of mix it up, have maybe a longer, you know, a longer gag. And well, kind of you're familiar with the old, you know, that old story about Ernie Bushmiller and and uh, Charles Schultz. Do you know that little story? <laughs> that, that okay I at might. a national it's national so cartoonist society uh, award dinner or something, or um, I'm not sure the exact situation, but uh, it was it was at a podium. Ernie Bushmiller stood up, and uh, of Ernie Bushmiller of Nancy stood up and uh, gave a little speech about the use of language in comics. And of course, you know nobody was a greater editor in in regard to any of the aspects of of comic strips than Ernie Bushmiller. And, uh, and so he gave this, this little speech and, uh, and he spoke out against verbiage in comics and too much verbiage in comics. And this is just at a time when Schultz is really peaking and really beginning to take off, you know, maybe it was the early sixties or something. And, uh, so Schultz's response to that was to go back home and write a comic strip that was filled with more words than anything, <laughs> anything he had uh, ever done before. And, uh, you know, which is great because I, I don't, I don't like formulas, you know, and, yeah. and there's a discipline about comic strips, but absolutely. You know, when you're, you're sitting down to, to do a piece and, uh, you know, it works for it. Hey, you got, you go with it, whether it's a lot of words or it's not. <laughs> I think that's one of the reasons why I really, um, enjoy doing the books too, is, um, they're, they're kind of divided between graphic novel and illustrated novel and the illustrated novel part, I can get pretty wordy and I love it. I just, you know, it's just word vomit for me because <laughs> I, I really do, you know, of course, um, because the strips can, you know, have, have 
kind of that limit. Otherwise, they just don't become legible anymore. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, right. it's it's but, nice to be able to just, you know, throw a lot of adjectives in there. Yeah, and you do, and, and there's a nice balance between them. So all the books are part graphic novel, part comic, and then part prose. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, uh, I loved that in uh, in Invisible Emmy. I, I really enjoyed that going back and forth between the two. I, I there was you know as a kid I'd always be like I'd be drawn to the comics and you know forget the rest of the stuff, but um, you know as an adult reading it I was like really happy to have both. There was a nice give and take between them, uh, and I find that it's a very nice um, package in a way. You know, it's a, it's a nice uh, combination to have the two together like that. Yeah, I really, I, I enjoy it. And I actually have to credit my agent because he's the one who, um, advised me to do that. It was originally going to be just, um, an illustrated novel. Right. Um, so a lot of spot art and labeling Mm -hmm. and interspersed with uh, a lot of text. Mm -hmm. And because it had two, eventually it had two, uh, main characters or maybe a main character and a half <laughs> he said why don't you stylistically divide this up so um it really differentiates between the characters and the chapters and yes. I, that was a fantastic idea and mm-hmm. it made that connection yeah. between katie and mm-hmm. and emmy yeah right yeah right. it's really nice so that's good i mean that's great it, it works out it works to both your strengths you know in thank everybody. you yeah, it's great. So, um, let's talk a little bit uh, a little bit about the strip, Pajama Diaries. So, where did that title come from? Okay. Um, <laughs> so, I had a really horrible title at first. Uh-huh. Um, I used to be very bad with titles. I've gotten better, but <laughs> um, uh, when I was first developing the strip, um, it was I think I called it the Mommy Diaries. <laughs> oh, okay. And, yeah. and Jay Kennedy was my editor at the time, and he quickly said, uh, you might want to change it so it has more broad appeal. Mm-hmm. And I, luckily, I quickly agreed. <laughs> and and um, I came up with Pajama Diaries because um, I thought it was kind of twofold. It, it um, you know, it has the, there is the obvious connection between the work at home mom working in her pajamas. Um, but it also had that uh, kind of intimate um, undertone there too mm-hmm. um, because you know it's a diary it's kind of voyeuristic and it, it just kind of implied that mm-hmm. it flows off the tongue too you know pajama yeah. diaries it sounds good you know mommy diaries kind of clunks <laughs> but, yeah, but it's, it's good yeah. it's embarrassing to uh, actually hear again <laughs> <laughs> mommy diaries yeah mommy it's, but it, so it was always uh, conceptualized as um I almost wanted to say diuretic, but <laughs> it could be that. Too. Yeah, it was it was conce- <laughs> it was conceptualized from the beginning as uh, as a diary, right? Jill's yeah. diary, but also your diary. Um, yeah, yeah. At that time, it was um, it was the it was uh, the early two thousands, and. Um, diaries were pretty big and I, I never really saw one sort of in comic strip form in the, in the funny pages at that point, like in that sort of vein, that whole, because there were a lot of like mommy blogs beginning and, and a lot of literature about stressed out moms. Right. And, and I wanted to, uh, so that's, that's where the idea kind of came about. I was doing a lot of reading back then. Um, there were, there were two books that really inspired pajama diaries, um, 
trying to remember the titles. Um, actually, one was one became a movie. It was fiction. Oh, I don't know how she does it. Um, my sister gave me that book, I think, for my birthday, and I read it, uh-huh. and I read it again, and it was this wonderful combination of both like humor and pathos. And mm-hmm. um, then there was a nonfiction book I read. I know the the author is Judith Warner. Mm-hmm. I think it's Motherhood in the Age of Anxiety. You know, it's just about the 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 woman trying to do it all basically mm-hmm. yep mm-hmm. trying to explode that whole notion mm-hmm. of super mom yeah and i you know i just thought oh my god what a great cartoon character that would be <laughs> and, and it would be her point of view it right. would be you know it's there there were quite a few moms in the in the funnies but usually it wasn't like you weren't in her mind or her mindset no absolutely yeah not most of the time so no. I don't know, uh, off the top of my head, another strip that was seen from the mom's point of view so specifically. Yeah. Uh, most of the time, you know, we're either viewing from outside the strip in that kind of objective voice. And uh, otherwise, maybe it's from the, the husband's point of view. Uh, but you know what I mean? I, it's like, I mean, Blondie and Dagwood you know, you're ostensibly outside the strip looking in, but it seems more often than not that you're looking from uh, Dagwood's point of view than anybody else's. But, um, you know, it's kind of interesting. Uh, there was, there's, I can't think of anything wherein momhood and being a mom is so, so central to, to the subject of the comic strip. Yeah. It's mom centric for sure. <laughs> yeah, it is uh, parent centric, centric, but also mom centric. Yeah. And, uh, you know, which is, as you're speaking about it, yeah, it certainly fits into a lot of things that have happened, you know, post, I mean, one of the things I think about when I think about your strip, uh, the pajama diaries, uh, is that, uh, and think about Jill is that how, how different, being a mother now seems to be than being a mother, say when my mom was, was a mother. I mean, do you, do you see that? I mean, growing up, we grew up maybe not too far apart, um, maybe a decade or so, but, um, you know, do you see a distinction between being a parent in the last 20 years versus being parents in the fifties and sixties and seventies? Oh my gosh, where do I start? (laughs) It's like night and day sometimes. Yeah, well, first of all, I think there are pros and cons for each. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, and and they're pretty obvious ones. But uh, the one thing that I don't remember my mom doing that I did all the time was cry (laughs) (laughs) on a daily basis (laughs) because I was trying to tackle too many things at once. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was a lot of crying in the early days. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, of course, you know, like I said, I, I grew up, I think, a little bit differently just because my dad was really hands-on. I mean, my mom was hands-on too, but my dad was, you know, it was just unusual for my dad, for, for a man in that generation, I think, to be. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, in a way, I had I had great role models, Mm -hmm. Um, but the difference is my mom did not work or she worked for my dad part time um, Mm -hmm. later on. But uh, but, you know, she grew up in the 50s and Mm -hmm. or she I I should say she got married in the 50s and um, yeah, raised uh, her kids in the 60s and 70s. So and 80s, I guess (laughs) I I was a straggler. So, yeah, yeah, complete change around. And not only that, but. you know, just the pressure, like the pressure to 
be everything to everybody was yeah. just unbelievable. I, I'm hoping it's calmed down since. I mean, I've calmed down, but my kids are also older. Right. Your kids are, are. Yeah. You get to a point where you're just like, oh, whatever. But <laughs> yeah. you can raise yourself now. But <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. That's, okay. the, that's the ideal, right? Yeah. That's the yeah, but are, are so um, your kids are older than Amy and Jess in the no six? no they're the same age they're the same, same age, age. Yeah. so it, it really parallels what's going on in Fair. your life wow. yeah yeah that was very intentional I think it, it's interesting because I knew when I created Pajama Diaries it wasn't going to be one of those strips that just meets like the whole broad audience like even mm-hmm. even though Jay wanted me to broaden my audience yeah. I knew it was going to be a little more specific. Um, whether that hurt me or not uh luckily i I don't think it really hurt me too much but it's but it was definitely more niche yeah well it it, i mean a lot of them okay there's a strategy there right i mean you know the niche the idea of the niche niche market is is very prevalent now when it comes to all kinds of things but um in regard to this yeah it's it's a niche that's for sure and it was a very powerful and um and you know prevalent niche i mean you know you talk about mom blogs and things of that nature but it became part of the i mean it's still to this day you know it's very much a part of the public discourse in regard to you know um magazines newspapers uh, etc you see all kinds of articles that deal with these issues one could say that could limit you but at the same time you know i'm not a mom and i'm i'm not a parent even and yet I've found the strip uh, to be funny, uh, insightful. I mean, I have, you know, colleagues and friends who are going through the same things, you know, and, and I can see the pressure on them, which, you know, is very evident in Jill and, and Jill's life and, uh, and uh, how it's depicted in, in the strip. You know, so it's, it's interesting just as a human being to sit back and read it because it's insightful, it's funny, it's honest. Um, sometimes it's, it's really... Um, I don't want to say shocking in its honesty, but it's, it's you know, <laughs> okay. yeah, it's, it, but it's very, um, bare bones in a way. And you reveal a lot of yourself and a lot of what mothers, I think in general, in the last 30 years have had to go through. It's, you know, very provocative and, and it makes you, you know, it makes you stop and think and, and, and think about, okay, what kind of society have we constructed and what kind of pressures are facing women today? And, uh, and you know how do we we all empathize and grapple with that and and uh, come to terms with it? And so I think your strip is a very important part of a larger dialogue. Well, thank you. And that was definitely a goal. So it's perfect. Yeah. I I touch on a lot of social and feminist stuff. So yeah, and a you lot do. of it comes from my own, you know, um, experiences and sometimes anger and, <laughs> well, it's not a and polemic. humor. And, yeah. Yeah. It's not a polemic. It's a, it's a human experience. And when I read your strip, it's about living life every day and it's living life within the confines of this construct that we've, you know, got around us, the zeitgeist as it were. And, and it's about, you know, just human beings getting along every day and trying to move forward uh, progressively, you know, in regard to gender roles and, and, uh, the duties of, of parenting and, and how those are different now and how we, can, we continue to struggle with that and mm-hmm. continue to tr- try and find balance and, and trying to find a way to share the responsibilities and, and how they still fall so heavily on women. And, uh, and, you know, I mean, it's, it's just, 
it transcends, you know, I think the limitations of an op-ed piece. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Maybe the strip is an op-ed piece. <laughs> in, in a way, but it's better than that because it's fun. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I have to, you know, I have to give my husband credit. He, um, he really gives me a lot of feedback on the strips and, um, and he definitely inspires the husband character and, you know, and I think like, oh my gosh, I mean, I've got all this anger and angst and, you know, I have like the ideal situation. Mm -hmm. I work, you know, I work from home. I've got a lot of flexibility. I have two kids who really don't have, uh, like major issues. That's great. Um, and, and I have a husband who's uh, very hands-on and, you know, like does his equal part. So it's probably more so at this point. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's like, oh, my gosh, you know, if, if that's the case and, you know, and I've got issues with women's roles and, mm -hmm. and gender roles and, um, and motherhood and everything and parenthood. And, you know, I can't even imagine how it is for, for people with, you know, with far worse challenges oh yeah yeah you know and and uh I, I can't either single motherhood and things of that nature it's it's uh you know extraordinary i mean mother there's so much pressure and so much right you know we owe to our mothers and uh um you know mother's it's rule mother's rule it's true. <laughs> and, yeah it's true and uh i'm gonna start i'm gonna get choked up here because I, oh, <laughs> I lost my mom uh, oh God, I'm sorry. Yeah, 20, well, it was a long time ago now. Oh, it's almost 20. Uh, but it's, you know, her, yeah, it's not easy. And and her influence. Um, my mom was artistically inclined, and oh, uh, wow. so uh, she brought that to the family. My dad was sort of always in awe uh, of that in a in a strange way. But my dad was like, and I, this is why part of me thinks about the differences between now and then. First of all, because I have colleagues who are mothers and raising kids and, uh, and they're in their forties and, you know, going through struggles with that. And, and I've, I, you know, the pressures they've been under and the difficulties and, and, um, and then I think about, you know, what my parents went through and, and, uh, what it was like to raise kids then. And my dad was definitely not one of those hands-on dads. He, he, he was in that transition period, you know, um, when at the end of the sixties, when women were just beginning to express themselves about, you know, uh, equal rights and also in terms of what they needed in, in the household and how things right. were unfairly distributed and the structure of society. And my dad was not close minded about that, but he was never really capable of being, you know, broadly open-minded about that either. I mean, it was, he was of that generation, you know, sure. dad went to work, mom stayed home, but my right. mother was artistically inclined and intellectually inclined and she went to uh, to school and and uh, was a lifelong student in that way and, and also uh, a musician and when I was growing up as a kid she used to paint and that's how I learned how to draw was she sat me down and started to teach me so my mother brought all that stuff to the household and uh, uh, so you know she's a vital she remains a vital force in my life uh, even though she's and been gone for low these many years. Uh, he sounds incredible. My my mom was also very artistic, uh -huh. and, or I should say, is. Uh -huh. <laughs> but, but yeah, I always feel bad though because she she went to school for painting, but she kind of gave it up to get married and yep. and never really you know brought that part of her out to the extent that I I think it should have. 
Yeah, you know, I uh, and and Deb talk, my wife Deb talks about her mom too, who who uh, was a single mom raising three kids. Oh wow! And she she had this great talent for fashion and wanted to be a fashion designer, but you know, the world at the time um, wouldn't allow for that. Not only the circumstances that she found herself in, but also her family wasn't supportive. You sure. Know, uh. My mother. Um, you know, uh, was a musician. She was, she studied art and, and painting when I was small and gave it up for music later on. And that's what music, what kind of She's a classical guitarist. Oh, wow. She's a classical guitarist and she was a darn good classical guitarist. And, uh, she would have been a great, I became a university professor and she would have been a great university professor. She Uh. would have been a natural, but you know, circumstances didn't work out that way. And, um, she spent most of her time, you know, raising kids, but, um, same thing really, you know, you know, uh, she gave it up in the early sixties to raise me and my sisters and my brother. And, and, uh, um, you know, I feel bad about that. Uh, I, I wish, because I know part of her really wanted to be, you know, satisfied in that way. Um, she did study and she did work on, on what she did. She had the benefit to do that. And she was very fortunate that we, you know, my father made enough money that enabled her to do that. But at the same time, you know, a big part of her wasn't fulfilled and uh um that that's a disappointment to me and i because I, I know it was to her anyway absolutely yeah and that's that's where i you know i feel very fortunate that i could do what i do now mm-hmm. because you know i think about my mom a lot in that yeah. in that regard and um maybe just doing this is I'm doing this for her, but then that's, that's ridiculous because she's her own person. <laughs> right, right, right. And then it goes back to, Oh, well, you know, it's, it's, it's almost too bad. She was from that generation yet. I know she, you know, she's had a fulfilling life too. It's, it's, yeah. you know, there's just such pros and cons to, really to all of it. Yeah. And then, I'm, but of course she always feels sorry for me. And she says this all the time because I'm so bogged down with a million things. Yeah. <laughs> and, yep. and it's like, you know, they, you know, she had a certain freedom back then that I don't have. So it's, 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 there's always a trade-off it seems. And hopefully there will be a point where there isn't so much of a trade-off of one thing or another. One way or another. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe if the society finds a way to support mothers more than we do now, you know, all of those issues, I think at some point we have to address that along with Really, oh my gosh, that's I, I have done so many strips regarding that. I can't even tell you. <laughs> you know, but anger never comes out in your strip, and and that's one of the things. I mean, you 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 address all of these things, uh, but I never read the strip and feel like you're angry. And and maybe you are. Maybe there are moments, but the strip doesn't read that way. Jill doesn't read that way. Um, you know, she re- reads like a, a person who is trying to cope with the world as she finds it and raising kids the best she can for good or bad. She's filled with doubt, you know, about whether she's, you know, the best mom or raising her kids as, as uh, well as she could. I mean, there's always the people across the street, right? Perfectville, who she's mm-hmm. trying to work against but i mean you know it never comes across as angry it comes as it comes across as as honest and thoughtful and you know she's a character who who um is is just struggling to get by day by day raising these two kids you know and uh in the world as it is and and i think that's important you know for a strip like this to reach out to an audience to people like me who are coming from the outside right um 
it, it comes across that way. And it, and so for somebody like me coming in from the outside, it, it doesn't read like a political diatribe of any kind. It reads like a human experience. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I, I really try not to, you know, I, I consciously try not to get too preachy or, or too angry or anything. <laughs> I just try and focus on the humor more. I'm always looking for the, you know, for the gag at the end and it's not always um, easy bring it around. Do. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I like to touch on it though and to tease at it sometimes yeah. just yeah. so I do get a point across. So thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, and you step away from it as a reader and think about those issues, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, and it is one of those strips that does make you think about the world around you and some of the things that are happening and, and, you know, re- your own relationship. And, and, uh, even though, you know, my wife's not a mom, um, you know, she carries a big burden around the house and, um, mm-hmm. you know, she is uh, of a generation that's, um, you know, there's a certain, the, in regard to gender roles, um, she just, she both embraces the, some of those aspects. She's very much her own person. Very, she's a very strong woman. My my wife. Um, Sounds it. She is, and she's yeah. very very creative. I mean, I have great admiration, great love, but great also great admiration for her. And um, oh. and at the same time, she's um, she she embraces some of these gender roles, even when she knows it adds pressure you know, onto her. And, uh, but even still, um, because we are who we are. Who yeah, we are absolutely. Of, yeah, yeah. I do the same thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> do the same thing. I, and it's funny because when I first, <laughs> as speaking of, you know, uh, gender roles, things like that, um, some of my early jokes were, you know, Jill cooks basically out of a box. Like she goes uh-huh. to Trader Joe's, she dumps a box out <laughs> into, <laughs> into, into the microwave, whatever, and, yep. uh, you know, heats it up. And, um, and that's actually how I started out. And then the funny thing is, though, over the years, um, I, I, ga- I gave up meat at a certain point. I, I eat fish. I, I'm a pescatarian, but mm-hmm. I had to find creative ways of cooking. So I'm not always eating out of a box or, <laughs> or I can feed my family at the same time. And I ended up, um, uh, discovering cooking mm-hmm. and embracing it. And now mm-hmm. I really love it. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I'll cook these vegan meals for my family and they actually eat it. Oh, and, and I, do, I do cook the meat too, but, <laughs> but it's, you know, just, you know, it's one of those traditional gender roles, but, yeah. but it's, but it's one that I've really, you know, come to love. And, and I think it's a great creative outlet too. And it really, like, well, I find it, it's actually pretty relaxing at the yeah. end of the day too. Yeah. It can be, if it's, if it's not one of those things, it's like, you know, an omnipresent duty, you know, that you right. have, have to do every day. I think when it's something that you are expected to do and have to do every day, it gets old. And, um, you know, but on the other hand, if you can approach it, uh, that way where you can balance it between, you know, somebody else is cooking one, a couple of nights a week and, you yeah. know, then it can be creative in our life. You know, there was a period of time when, uh, Deb was working a lot and I was at home during those hours. And, uh, as a university prof- professor, I've always had more flexible hours than she had had when she was running her own business or something. And so I would be responsible for cooking. And, um, now it's the other way around. I mean, she, she's always done most of the cooking, but, uh, during those years, there was a period of time when I did a lot of the cooking and I, I really enjoy it now because I travel a lot and because, um, she's at home, uh, working. She, she always feels that this is one of those things. She feels like it's incumbent upon her to cook every night. And sometimes, and I keep saying it's not, but 
you know, she, she doesn't allow herself to get off the hook that way. Also, she wakes up thinking about, okay, what's for dinner? And I don't, <laughs> there's I know a the feeling. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. So, um, I, you know, but I, I love cooking when I, when I get the chance to do it. And, uh, and I think, you know, gender roles aside, it's a great creative outlet and uh, can be very relaxing. It it takes your mind off of other stuff. It it really does. Yeah. It used to be the same for us. Uh, My husband used to cook, do all the cooking. And when our schedules changed, um, that switched over too. But yeah, I think, I think he appreciates it. And um, as a family, as a whole, we're like constantly hungry. So (laughs) if someone's cooking, I think we're good. (laughs) Yeah, right. Exactly. (laughs) That's pretty funny. Uh, You know, exactly. As long as there's some food somewhere. Uh, Yeah. Really crazy hungry. It's like always. (laughs) You know, um, in regard to autobiography, uh, there was there was, um, you know, a, a documentary. I don't know if you're a fan of the cartoonist Seth at all. I don't know if you know his work. Uh, are you f- familiar with Seth? No, I'm going to have to look oh, it up. OK, Seth is a cartoonist um, whose work skirts both fiction and autobiography. Periodically, he does stuff that's very autobiographical. And um, there is a documentary about him. It came out of the National Film Board of Canada. Seth is a Canadian cartoonist. He's done work for Drawn and Quarterly for many, many years. Oh, nice. Um, He's one of my favorite cartoonists. I I absolutely love him. And I think, actually, you'd probably like him, too. Um, There's a book by him called It's a Good Life uh, If You Don't Weaken which is a good starting place. It was his first book. Anyway, it's heavily autobiographical. And in this documentary, one of the uh, cartoonists who is one of his friends, I can't remember whether it's a guy by the name of Joe Matt or Chester Brown, who um, talks about autobiography in relationship to their work. And how you, one of the things that happens in autobiography is what you choose to reveal and what you don't choose to reveal and how you construct the character you're presenting to the audience. And is, and, and, you know, there's a, there can be a tension there in living your life and realizing that, oh, you know, this is something I can use instead of just living life living your life almost as a fictional character. Do you know what I mean? Is that oh, something, that's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Is that something you've encountered, that kind of conundrum? Um, gosh. Uh, I want to say maybe more at first. Uh-huh. Um, I know I was more self-aware about stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, uh, I was very, when I first got, when I first launched, um, I was always kind of afraid of revealing too much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe, yeah, I like, I like the line of living through your fiction, um, <laughs> living as fiction. <laughs> yeah. Um, but somewhere down the road, I lost all shame. And, <laughs> 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 um, and now, now everything's pretty transparent. Um, <laughs> it's all out there it was also very freeing for Mm -hmm. me Mm -hmm. Um, when I let go of that shame and let go of worrying about it I found it I found that I was actually reaching more people and finding that people are saying oh yeah me too a lot more yeah um and realizing that I was you know more mainstream than I guess I hoped I was but Uh (laughs) um but I, I don't think I ever really like felt like 
I was living my life as an autobiography or, you know, uh, yeah. or anything was crossing over too much. I'm not raising my kids just for my comic strip. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'll raise these kids and they'll, it'll be excellent because I'll have a lot of material. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually why I had them. No. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell them that. Right. right. I had right. to create comic like, book characters, comic strip characters. Yeah. That's uh, a funny side story. Um, my kids uh, were, were never ever <laughs> into comics like I was. I think I think because I'm so entrenched in the comics world, they just mm-hmm. kind of ran far away from that. Um, they're they're both very artistic, and now my my one daughter actually works at the Billy Arlen. <laughs> oh really? Wow. So like it's starting to come around again. Yeah, and, yeah. and she's telling me about things she's seen. Oh, then sure. I get to listen. <laughs> yeah, of course, right? We could like live in that archive, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I'm so, oh yeah. I, I need to visit her just for that alone. But, yeah. but yeah, yeah. So yeah. I mean, that's, she goes to OSU. So that's what she does on the side. Okay. Well, yeah. that's really nice. Is it an internship or something of that nature? Is it like a, yeah, like um, a part-time uh-huh. job. And is yeah. she, is she studying art while she's there or? She's, um, she's hoping to study architecture. Architecture. Okay. My, my nephew became an architect. Uh, he works within an architectural firm. It's not an easy life, but yeah. yeah. Combines interesting skill sets though. It sure does. She throws for a loop actually. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. Cause you, you've got to be, you know, mathematically inclined as well as artistically inclined. Yes. She is not very mathematically inclined, but, um, but she she has I don't know she she's but she's really enjoy she loves her design classes so I'm just hoping uh-huh. that <laughs> I'm hoping it all balances out somehow but uh, what she, year is she she's just a freshman so oh, okay she's, she's got time she has time she yeah and from what I understand um, a lot of what would fall on her would be more design oriented and then they kind of push it off to the engineers later on so uh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's something. That, yeah, right. Let's hope for her. And your your other daughter, what does she do? Um, my other daughter's in high school, so right. she's she's got a ways to go. But she she may be doing something design related, um, maybe graphic design or industrial design. But okay. you know, she she changes her mind a lot about many things. So yeah, we're, sure, sure, we have yet to see. <laughs> but it an- does seem to be the most. Um, prolonged uh way of thinking she's had as as far as what she's going to do someday and and she and she definitely has a knack she i mean this is really something she has a knack for so 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 the apple doesn't far too far fall right. from, too far from the tree yeah yeah and i always i joke my my poor husband lost all of his dna in in the whole mix because oh, no. <laughs> he's an it guy he studied engineering he was hoping oh, one of the like, girls would do that but <laughs> it's just like rob then Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, there's there's differences though. Rob is a little more of the quiet type, and my husband is definitely the extrovert. So, <laughs> an yeah. extroverted engineer, go figure. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you don't live in Cleveland. You don't live too far away from Columbus, right? It's not too far. No, not uh, too far. Where, yeah, where Billy Ireland is. Have you ever gotten to Billy Ireland? Have you ever? Oh yeah. Yeah, many yeah. times. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's a yeah. pretty cool place. I, I had the chance to go there once in, uh, was it 2012 or 2013? I don't remember. There was an event there when it, it, Billy Ireland uh, Museum had just opened. And um, okay. that was an exciting 
exciting event because a lot of people were there and I was very fortunate. My university allowed me to go and uh, uh, paid for the hotel anyway. So that was pretty <laughs> That's great. I had to pay for the gas, but that was okay. I didn't yeah. mind. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was, it was a good time. It was an eye opener um, to see that. And, uh, Did and you to, go through all the archives? Well, archives. I didn't really have the, the <laughs> chance to, uh, at that point, um, there were a lot of different events and talks that were going on. And, um, so I, I went to most of those kinds of presentations and things. I didn't really get a chance to, I wanted to go through the archives, but right. you know, I'd love to see all that stuff. Uh, but, um, oh, well, on the other hand, it could be really depressing to see all how uh, great those. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that calls to mind actually, um, how long have you worked? Have you done the entire comic strip on the Cintiq? I mean, are there originals someplace of early Pajama Diaries uh, comics, or are they all digital? Uh, no, I do have originals um, all before 2013. So, um, but, you know, because I age up the characters, it's really when the kids were a lot younger. Yeah. So, um, so you know, a lot of, a lot of the subject matter is, is quite different than it is today. Sure. But yeah. Unfortunately, that is the one trade-off of when you um, switch over to digital. You, right. You lose, you lose those lovely originals. Yeah. Yeah. Did, did you find that it changed the style of, of your work at all, or did it remain consistent between this, the, the switch? Oh, um, you know what? It I don't think it changed too much between originals and digital, but mm -hmm. it, it changed massively just um, in its own evolution from mm -hmm. just sure. time. Um, but uh, no, actually switching over was was pretty natural. It it, it mm -hmm. didn't feel much different than working on um, with the with paper and ink. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it the stylus really uh, has has a bit of a give, so it really kind of echoes that whole, whole pen. Yeah. Thing. So yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah, do you work digitally or do you work? I do. Uh, I, I work digitally now. Um, you know, I've, uh, for most of my career, I worked traditionally and, um, a lot of the stuff that's still on go comics was done traditionally. The later stuff, maybe from the last year and a half, I didn't actually start working with an, uh, an iPad until, um, what was it? My wife bought it for me for my Christmas gift um, in uh, 2017, I think. Mm -hmm. So I spent 2018 really converting over to it. And, um, you know, I mean, that was the amazing thing. I was going to buy a new scanner and mm -hmm. I was not happy with the scans I was getting. The quality of my scanner wasn't mm -hmm. great. So I went to get a new scanner and she pulled me aside and said, look, you know, well, why are we even, why do you even, you know, bothering with that? Why don't you look at the iPad? And I was like, oh man, we can't afford an iPad. And, you know, she was like, she was insistent and she, so we picked it up. It had procreate on it. They had the stylus. I played with it. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> game changer. So yeah. Game changer. So much better than working on a Wacom tablet, which is what I'd been using. Right. Right. Wacom tablets, just not the same thing. No. But this was, oh my God. 
gosh, it was like drawing, you know. Like, hey. <laughs> yeah, so it was it's it. amazing. You have a very, very smart wife. <laughs> yeah, she is very smart. And, you know, I, I tend to be, uh, no, I'm not going to change anything. And she's like, come on, grow up. <laughs> and and <laughs> so, so uh, you know, I did. And, uh, and oh, man, I love it. I, I mean, now I really love it because just like you, I'm a bit of a control freak when it comes to the line. Will, Will Henry and I were having this discussion, you know, how you sit there and you, you can play with every line in, in, uh, procreate and delete a layer if you don't like a line or just erase it instantaneously. And, you know, on the one hand that can remove some spontaneity, but on the other hand, it gives you this incredible control. And, uh, a lot of times I'm looking for that fine line between spontaneity and control. You know, I want yeah. it to be a beautiful line, but I also want it to feel real. So this gives me that. And, um, you know, and it's pushed me more and more towards, uh, you know, I've been looking and have grown to appreciate a lot of modernist fifties, uh, design, uh, graphic design, illustration, um, animation in particular. And I'm trying to get more and more into that, into what I do. And oh, that's so cool. yeah. And, and so, uh, like the later stuff I've been doing that I haven't really shown publicly yet. That's, that's, I've been like leaning to that. I just love that. It goes back to that loving Mike Mignola and, and, um, uh, Alex Toth and all of those artists that, that editing and the intellectual process that's involved in that and that appealing to me. And, um, so I go back to that a lot and this has really given me opportunity to sort of focus on that. I think more than, you know, working traditionally had been doing. Uh, yeah. I love it. I, I really do. Freedom in it. Mm -hmm. It does. Although when I teach, uh, you know, I, I, uh, my comics class now, you know, I'm putting them through the paces of working old school, you know, for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I think that's important. I yeah. think that's very important. Me yeah. too. Yeah. You got to have, you got to know where the tools come from. You got to know right. how to handle a brush. You got to sure. know what a brush does before, you know, start deciding what brush points you're going to use digitally. And Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, did working digitally, that's just another medium, but, yeah. um, but you need to, you know, go through it all and, yeah. and see what appeals to you. Yeah. And have respect for it all. And, right. and, and also, you know, the traditional process, I do find it slows you down. Um, you mm -hmm. do have to think more because you have to commit and you can't change it, you know, I mean, except yeah. for white out or something. Right. Yeah, yeah. That used to scare the pants off of me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The control freak that I am. Yeah. Right. Exactly. You know, right. me too. Like, oh God, this line's not perfect. Oh, <laughs> no more white out. <laughs> no more white out. I know. I hate to, and the, you know, it's, who is it that, uh, you know, um, Schultz's stuff getting just touching back on, on Charles Schultz for a minute. I don't know if you've seen that, um, the, the IDW artists edition of Schultz's stuff, but you know, uh, it's all like I was saying to, to one of the guests, Brad Perry, a couple times ago, it's almost like Mozart. You, you look at this work, not only is there very little pencil work, but there's very little whiteout. And I know I've seen some stuff by Robert Crumb, particularly his early stuff, a lot of whiteout in some of that stuff. And yeah. I was surprised to see that, but, um, in Schultz's stuff, wow, there's so little, what, you know, just a little white out for maybe changing, he, he misspelled the word cocoa a number of times <laughs> and, uh, and it's there, but otherwise you don't see a lot of it. Yeah. All. If you, I mean, if you look at his line work, it, yeah. a, a lot of it looks very spontaneous. And, very spontaneous. I mean, yeah. Mm -hmm. He found that natural groove, you know, Yeah. between mm -hmm. the two. 
and uh, found a way to to balance, you know, control, uh, which you absolutely have to have if you're going to draw Snoopy or you're going to draw Charlie Brown. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I don't care if you invented Charlie Brown or not. You you know, you know, anybody who's a comic strip artist knows. I, one of the questions that students always used to ask me, how do you, um, and I came up the other, how do you draw the same character over and over and over again in one strip and make it look the same? And to us, I think it's just natural, right? You know, we just don't think about that. It's just part of the game. But um. From the outside, a lot of folks do. You and know, I don't know if I'd agree for myself yeah? anyway. Yeah, I always think my characters look vastly different from panel to panel. <laughs> um, but they don't. <laughs> but that's my eye. Yeah, yeah, that's your eye because you're the eye. you're the perfectionist and you're the right. control freak and you're just, just <laughs> exactly right. And you're going, oh my God, Jill doesn't look the same. <laughs> look the same as he did last time. But you know, reading it for you, they're pretty consistent. And, and I've looked at um you know, gone back a number of years into the strip and, and now, and there have been changes, but they also remain very consistent. Schultz's stuff, um, when I look at it, uh, of course, obviously, I think we all know that we've got the 50s Charlie Brown and the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s Charlie Brown, and they all change. But at the same time, you know, anybody who's drawing Charlie Brown, who's not Charles Schultz, it's like almost in, immediately apparent, right? That that's not Charles Schultz drawing. <laughs> right. Probably. No matter what Charlie, what Charlie Brown it is, what version, it's like impossible to get it. Like, yeah. But Schultz did it over and over again. It's like yeah. a fingerprint. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like a fingerprint. But um, yeah, it's you know finding that consistency. He certainly, he did it, and he did it uh, on a regular basis, uh, which which is amazing. But um, mm-hmm. found that that place freedom and uh and uh, discipline and control but at the same time you know this this enough of that looseness and and spontaneity that when snoopy dances it feels like snoopy's dancing yeah i think i used to that used to be my favorite uh way of drawing snoopy i I used to draw him dancing i love that too yeah Yeah. (laughs) maybe it's that inner freedom you feel And there feels like he feels those drawings, you sense Schultz's joy, you know, Mm -hmm. in drawing those and and it's communicated through Snoopy. Snoopy is one of those great characters, you know, this just life affirming character, Mm -hmm. particularly, you know, uh, when he was younger. You know, it's interesting how Snoopy ages because Snoopy, like all the the characters in the strip ages. And, uh, you know, I've, I've mentioned earlier, I think Lucy becomes much more sedate as years go on. And I think actually that's true of Snoopy too. Um, he doesn't seem to dance quite as much. Of course, you know, he becomes responsible for Woodstock. So he becomes kind of a parent and, or a big brother figure. And that changes you too. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. That's true. (laughs) Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's yeah. You know, so he danced a lot when he was, you know, uh, you know, free from all kinds of um, <laughs> no responsibility, no responsibility. <laughs> yep, exactly. And, and, uh, you know, I think Lucy used to chastise him, you know, how dare you not have responsibilities and dance all day. And, and <laughs> right. uh, then Woodstock becomes his little charge. And, uh, and I think as years go by, Snoopy be- becomes more and more responsible, less likely to, you know, dance off and, and, and um, uh, yeah, no, right? it's kind of <laughs> and if, I don't know if that's a metaphor for parenthood, but I think parents have to find a way, right, to find a, a way to dance amidst all of the responsibility. Yeah, I'm too tired. 
<laughs> parents just lose their will to live after a while. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> so do you, you know, um, it was, you know, Schultz did the strip for, I gosh, there's still more questions I wanted to ask you. And one of the yeah. things I wanted to ask you is, you know, the transition from doing greeting cards, which is how you started your career, and then going on to doing, you did a weekly comic strip and then you did Pajama Diaries. I guess that's kind of a natural sort of segue one from the other to the other. Was that a nice transition? Did that help you transition, you know, to the discipline of working on a daily comic strip? Yeah, it helped tremendously for me. Um, Each, I think each job I had was a great stepping stone. Mm -hmm. Uh, Greeting cards, doing the greeting cards is great because um, it really taught me, you know, to kind of pace my jokes and, Mm -hmm. and, and the brevity thing. And, um, even if I did rebel against that later <laughs> and, uh, uh, editing self editing was huge. Um, and then, uh, while I was at American greetings, I, I began, um, on this, I was, I was part-time by then. I think my, my older daughter was born and I started doing the weekly strip. Um, I, you know, actually at the time I wanted it to be a daily, but, um, but because of, I think it was too similar to other strips that were out there. Mm-hmm. Um, they started it, or they they syndicated it as a weekly, and that that really helped me gain insight as to whether or not I really could handle deadlines. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you know, nothing like a daily strip, those kind of deadlines. But it but it gave me, you know, that that foresight a little bit into whether or not I really wanted to do this if I wanted to pursue a daily in the future. Mm-hmm. And I discovered I did. Mm-hmm. Sure. And um, I remember trying to uh, resubmit that one and it just didn't go anywhere. Um, but then that's when I took, I think I took a couple of years off uh-huh. and and I, I wanted to, you know, I remember I ended this, I ended the, the week, the weekly one myself and I told Jay, you know, I just, I just want to step back. I, I'd like to think of a new daily idea, and, um, and that, that really helped. I, I had my second child by then, mm-hmm. and that's when I was doing a lot of reading about the, um, about you know all those challenges of modern moms and, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and reading the blogs and the books, and, um, sure. and that's when it kind of hit me. And it, it was, it was a great way for me to just um, step back and take things in. That's a great testament to the idea of stepping back sometimes and, and, um, you know, stepping away from the work and, and taking in reading as much as you can, engaging in the world in some way, um, that really, it's so necessary to fuel the creative fire. Oh, I totally believe in that. Um, I need to do that a lot actually. And that's one of the reasons why I decided to get way ahead with my comic strips, I certainly wasn't ahead in the beat from the start. Um, in fact, my launch date was moved up. Um, it was it was when Aaron uh, McGruder retired uh, the Boondocks, and oh yeah. So, uh, so the sales um, the sales folks were asking if I'd be willing to move up my my launch date. It was supposed to start on Mother's Day in 2006. Okay. Yeah. And instead, it started in March so that, you know, there was the hope of gaining some of those uh, empty slots. And um, and so I was actually kind of starting from behind. And it took me about two years, I think, to really 
get ahead, like maybe get four months ahead. Uh And I really did that intentionally. I worked at it because one of the reasons I did that was because I like to have that objectivity Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. stepping back and, and then viewing my cartoons again and being able to really see them after not having seen them for a while. And because I don't have, um, say like a, a political strip or anything that, you know, really needs to be, um, timed like around, you know, the, where I can't really, where you kind of have to be pushing the deadlines more because it's more timely. Um, I didn't have to worry about that so much. So, so I was eventually able to work myself up to six months and then I, I actually could have gotten further ahead, but I didn't do that intentionally as well because I also don't want to be too far (laughs) ahead because I base a lot of my work on what's happening in my own life. Sure. Um, so I, you know, so six months was, was my limit and, and it was perfect. It was perfect. I could get sick. I could go on vacation (laughs) and not feel too bad. And like I said, this was before the books came about, but, but yeah, that whole objectivity thing, it's, it's huge. It's huge. And I do that with the books now as well. I like to step back after I do a first draft and, and, you know, sit on it for a while. It, It helps tremendously. So, um, have you actually, you know, after you've let some strips lay for a while and finished them mm-hmm. and you go back and look at them, have you ever, you know, just dis- uh, uh, trashed anything that you've, you've found? Oh gosh, that's not funny. <laughs> back when I had more time. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> now I, 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 like, unless there's really something that I hate about it, if, if it's something I just despise, I, I, you know, I can't even remember the last time I trashed anything. If anything, I'll rewrite it if I can, but or tweak it, I should say. But um, I just don't have the time anymore. Yeah, and maybe I mean, there's pros and cons to that, right? Right. I mean, you know, uh, have you ever had anything in the strip that um, has gotten, uh, you know, a, a, a big reaction, positive or negative, from your audience that was just kind of unexpected? um yeah yeah more so in the beginning um I think my work I I think I was a little more controversial um in the beginning of my work Mm -hmm. and but that was kind of to be expected like um you know like any anything sexual especially um Mm -hmm. uh would warrant a reaction oh yeah yeah (laughs) yeah but I but that was kind of expected the unexpected ones like came out of nowhere for me like for instance um if I alluded to allergies, <laughs> having an allergy, <laughs> I was astounded. That would get so much of a reaction. Oh my gosh. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Like if, like if I was making a joke about a peanut allergy or something, it's like, Oh, oh no, you know, everyone went up in arms and <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. You know, I mean, that can be a real drag. You, you, you gotta be able to laugh at your allergies and, and, and I know people can, you know, there are serious allergies, no doubt about sure. it. Yeah. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm a serious allergy sufferer. And, oh, um, so, you know, hay fever and the whole bit and you know what, and if, if I couldn't laugh at, I mean, there's a healing quality in humor, which is one of the things I, you know, golly gee, now I sound like an old person, you know, complain, <laughs> but, but I am, Hey, what the hell? So, um, you know, it, it, if you can't laugh at your foibles and you can't laugh at your difficulties, then you're really in trouble. 
And, right. you know, the, the, the stresses we face as human beings, the stresses, you know, we face, whatever they are, whether, it, you know, it has to do with work, it has to do with home, has to do with our position in the world, uh, has to do with, you know, if you cannot laugh, you are in some serious trouble and life is miserable. And, uh, wow. you know, even people in the most direst circumstances with, with, you know, the worst case of hay fever ever can laugh, you know, should find a way to laugh at their predicament. And, um, because it's going to help you survive. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned that too. Um, uh, the last couple of years I introduced, um, an autistic character, okay. um, he is the son of one of my one of my side characters. Mm-hmm. So he's he's young. So it's it's mm-hmm. and it's more about her role as a parent with mm-hmm. him. Um, it's more her outlook. Mm-hmm. And um, and I was you know I was kind of curious what the reaction of that would be. And I, and I did my home you know I've done my homework with this. Um, I have uh, it's my husband's aunt. Um, uh, made her career working with kids on the spectrum and she gave me so much insight um like more than i could probably devour actually and um and and i have you know i have friends with kids with special needs and and i have i have actually a lot of friends who are ot's or pt's and so you know i immersed myself in this i did a lot of research and um and i actually used stories that um that my aunt gave me and and things like that. And I found that like most people really like to see that. Mm -hmm. Um, I've gotten mainly positive feedback about Mm -hmm. these strips and because it's really just like the, the one character kind of venting about what she's going through, but still loving her son and, you know, still being, and there's sometimes when she's amused by what he does and, um, and, 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 but once in, once in a blue moon, you know, people get, extremely offended about that and and this is something that touches their lives and you know and it it just brings the point about that you just really can't please everyone but you're hoping you're pleasing more people than than not and um and you're and you're trying to do it from an honest um and you know loving kind of kind of way exactly and humorous way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, exactly. You know, you're to, not to give them some relief if anything. Yeah. And I, and yeah. I, to, exactly. And I, and I think you're, you know, coming from a place of thought and care and, and concern and, and, um, you know, if, you know, we're not, we're not seven and eight years old making fun of kids, you know, in the classroom. We are adults, you know, dealing with um, life experiences and people we've met and, and people we've encountered in our lives. And there are people who, you know, it, it is, uh, there are various challenges challenges to, to parenting. This can be one of those challenges, and it's an honest reflection of of that experience. And and you know you can't do every point of view, but you can. All you can do is be honest and and um, try to reflect it with care, but also with humor. And uh, that's that's uh, only going to enrich our lives as readers. Uh, so you know um, that's a brave thing to do, and it's an important thing to do. Thanks. Thanks. I appreciate it. Risk, yeah. I mean, we have to risk those kinds of things as as artists. It, you know, every now and again, you know, you're going to um, 
some somebody's not going to like how you phrased something. Right. <laughs> Unfortunately, you know, you don't mean poorly. I mean, I I have an, I remember an experience. Um, similar kind of thing where I was talking to students and uh, we have a program at the university I work in uh, that is specifically geared towards students with special needs, particularly students on the spectrum. And we were talking about the program at a uh, uh, an open house one time. And there was, uh, you know, one young person who took offense at the, uh, at the phrase on the spectrum and, uh, you know, totally took me aback um, yes. by surprise. And, uh, you know, I was sad. I was sorry for it. I didn't mean for the, you know, uh, student to be offended in any way. And I didn't say it out of lack of concern or disrespect. But, um, you know, it, and it was a phrase that I'd been taught to use, you know. Uh, and right. yet in this case, uh, you know, this young person who, who really did not want to be identified that way found it um, problematic for them. And, uh, you know, I, I mean... In that circumstance, you know, it's a it's an awkward circumstance, but it, it is what it is. You know, um, you you go on from there, not meaning to have offended, but uh, unfortunately, you know, you can't always phrase things in a way that's pleasing to everybody, and so yeah. move forward. And maybe the next time, try to be just a little more aware. And I I am, but um, right. you know, it, it right, is. yeah. And it's actually I, sometimes it's good to hear that stuff because you you know, you, you are more aware and mm -hmm. maybe it'll help you hopefully not overthink, but at least keep it in the back of your mind. Yeah. And just be, you know, aware that some, you know, somebody listening to you may find that problematic right. and, and you know, but you try to do the best you can. That's all. Yeah, for sure. Move forward. So, so, well, Terry, is there anything else that we need to touch upon that um, we haven't in regard to your, your work, your career, your what's <laughs> coming out? I know, you know, just to mention it again, Just Jamie comes out on the 7th. And uh, that's that's great. I hope it's a big success is, and, and good Thank luck with the tour. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm both uh, exhilarated and exhausted thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. Do you like to travel or is that something... Yeah, I do. I love traveling. This this is um, this is more of you know a city a day or port a day kind of thing for the most part. But there will be some breaks in there, and I'm hoping to explore a little bit um, in in a few cities. But yet, yeah, normally I love traveling. Sure, for fun. but this isn't, yeah. this isn't vacation. This is work. <laughs> this is work. Yeah, yeah. Well, but it, it's it's still wonderful, and I love talking to kids, and yeah. and it's it'll be great. Yeah, and you get to see your audience, and and I'm sure there are a lot of kids who've read your books so far, and and uh, want to meet you, and uh, maybe there are a lot of moms who want to meet you too. Yeah, uh, I hope so. That, that'd yeah. be great. Yeah, that would be great. And uh, so, um, to anybody who's listening, I hope people will uh, check out Terry's website for her schedule and look to find her at a school or a venue near you to promote Just Jamie, which comes out May seventh. Uh, Terry, I thank you very much for being on the podcast. It's been a blast. Again, like almost every uh, episode I've had, this has been a great conversation. I've really enjoyed talking to you about your work and, uh, and uh, Pajama Diaries and, and your books. And uh, I wish you the best moving forward. And I hope uh, you win the Reuben again. And I hope you, <laughs> whatever prizes are out there for young adult fiction, I hope you, you win that too. Uh, thank you. I really appreciate it. And it was such a pleasure talking to you as well. 
So there you have it. I hope you enjoyed the conversation between Terry and myself. We did range far afield from Charles Schultz and Peanuts, uh, but we did circle on back as we were wont to do. Uh, it was really great to talk to Terry. She is a terrific cartoonist, and uh, I'm a big admirer of her work. And I love her writing, loved Invisible Emmy, and I can't wait to pick up Just Jamie and check that one out, too. So uh, thanks to Terry, and I uh, hope you really enjoyed it. Next time, we have Lex Fajardo, uh, and we're going to be talking about everything that he does as a senior editor at the Schultz Studio, overseeing the uh, Boom Comics version of Peanuts, Eisner Award-winning books like Celebrating Snoopy and Celebrating Peanuts 65 Years, which I just picked up a couple of weeks ago. For somebody who has read a lot of Peanuts and a lot of books about Charles Schultz and interviews with Charles Schultz, uh, I still learned a lot from this book and from the way it was put together with the comics interspersed with quotes from various times in Charles Schultz's life. Uh, they're really interesting. It's a really interesting book. I learned a lot and I laughed a lot. And actually, I haven't finished it yet. I'm still reading it and pouring over it. And it doesn't matter how many times I've read any of these comics thousand times they're still funny they still make me laugh i still i'm in, still in such admiration whenever i read a selection of schultz's work it makes me want to go make comics and that really for a cartoonist is the true test right uh, it spurs you on to creativity and i think there's no greater testament to uh, a great artist than to spur on others to uh, create. Uh, hopefully we create good things. <laughs> it's always possible. <laughs> no, no. I hope my best comes out of out of reading Charles Schultz. That's what I hope. At least it, it gives you something to shoot for. Like Charlie Brown, though, trying to get that kite up in the air. It's not an easy task. Anyway, uh, next time is Lex Fajardo. I'm really looking forward to it. I hope you are looking forward to it. And we'll talk to him about everything Schultz. And we will talk to Lex about his own comics, a whole series of graphic novels for all ages called Kid Beowulf, which you can read in installments on gocomics.com, or you can pick up the graphic novels themselves at Amazon or at kidbeowulf.com. That's K-I-D-B-E-O-W-U-L-F.com. That's Lex's own website, and it's chock full of really interesting stuff. So head on over there if you want to get a preview of what our conversation is going to be like next time. Uh, I hope the spring has been a nice one for you wherever you are. I hope all is well in your life. Things are coming up roses. Uh, have a chance to throw some baseballs around the horn. Hey, don't worry about it if you lose a few games. Just like Charlie Brown, there's always tomorrow, right? So uh, keep plugging away. And hug a warm puppy. Got to do that. Uh, hey, scratch your cat's back. Rubber tummy. Um, tell a loved one you care about them. Uh, don't let time go by without saying those things. And uh, thanks for listening. Betsy's not in the closet with me. It's too hot in the closet, uh, too hot outside, so she's found a comfortable place in the, in the shade underneath the bed. And in the meantime, I've come into the closet, closed the door to keep the nose, no, <laughs> and keep the nose.
uh, I've come into the closet, closed the door, and from her vantage point, she just hears me talking to myself in this closet. She's got to be wondering, what is that old man doing in that closet talking to himself when it's so hot in there? Uh, it's like a sauna in here. But anyway, uh, she's smart, <laughs> and I don't know what to say about myself. Oh, well, here I am. I'm dedicated. That's what it is. Dedication makes you behave, well, without common sense periodically. You blockhead!